When the rules of society are broken, things can get a little wild. This is Wild Society. Chad. I'm Courtney. I'm Jordan. I'm Bethany. Welcome to Wild Society, y'all. Welcome to our second introduction for this episode. <laughs> First for you guys. I you fucked guys. it up, you guys. We just recorded for like 30 minutes and it wasn't actually recorded. And the, whole the time. machine was not red. Super unfortunate. <laughs> it was bound to happen. I'm sorry. We oh almost gosh. made it 20 episodes without that happening. <laughs> Jordan, what did you say? We have a reservation at 7.30. So. So, sorry, guys. <laughs> We're going to keep the banter to a minimum tonight. Bethany was in the middle of a story about something, and she goes, oh, my God. And I thought she got a text about what she was talking about. Like, this is weird. And then we kind of looked, and the button wasn't recording. I thought yeah. there was a bug on the machine. I thought there was a ghost messing with our machine. Nope. I just realized mid-story that it was not recording there was some good banter going on it was too. literally like we had yeah long time anyway <laughs> because i'm back hello you guys Courtney's yeah, back. Courtney's back. Courtney's back. we were just so excited to have courtney back that i i dropped the ball <laughs> with all the sass we had a really emotional welcome back courtney we courtney's did. been through some really bad times and, oh know. my gosh yeah no thanks for the love i'm glad to be back yeah we're missed so happy everyone here. it's not the same with unless we're all together yeah we need all the good juju Yes. <laughs> yes, seriously. Save your ass. We're not very far into 2021, and it's already been real shitty. So it has. There's a little, it really there's has. A little leftover 2020 going I mean, on. there's been good things, but there's definitely been a lot of shitty things. Hopefully still. the worst is over. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I hope. We have some really exciting news, though. We have a new merch shop, so we're switching over. Didn't I already hear this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Deja our listeners vu. did not. <laughs> um, we're switching over to a website called Tea Public. You can find it on our website, so just go to wildsocietypodcast.com and click on the shop button at the top of the homepage. We're super excited because Tea Public is very environmentally conscious they source from ethical suppliers they use non-toxic inks and they recycle everything which is really important to us so we're excited to be working with them another really cool thing on there is there's a bunch of different artists on there so we can promote art from other artists which we have a couple on our shop already if you want to check those out um, if you are an artist and create a design for wild society on t public we'd love to know about it if we like it and it fits our brand, then we'll gladly promote it on our shop. So that's kind of cool and exciting to get our get our listeners involved. I'm trying to stare into your glasses because I can see your notes. I'm trying to see what you're going to say next. Oh, you can see the reflection mm-hmm. in my glasses. Woot <laughs> for merch. Yeah. Woot for merch. And TeePublic also has really awesome shipping rates. Our last place didn't have the best shipping costs. So we have solved that problem for our yeah. listeners now. And it kind of took a while to get your stuff. It did take a while, yeah. which I think part of that's COVID. But oh, yeah. Good point. Anyway, we're on TeePublic now. You can go to TeePublic.com and search for us or just go to our website and click on shop. So starting now through January 29th, 
you can get 35% off your total order. So t-shirts as low as 13 bucks, which is awesome. I'm going to be stocking up. I'm not going to lie. For sure. So head over to our website, wildsocietypodcast.com, and click on the shop to see what we have available right now. And we'll be adding new designs um, in the coming months, too. So Linda J, stock up for your spring collection. (laughs) You know, my mom's on there right now. Mommy Previch, we love you. Earlier, Bethany texted us and said that her story was super effed up. (laughs) And I said, oh, I... You know, but there's going to be some head shakes. And she said 100% head shakes. So today it's cloudy with a chance of 100% head shakes. So if it was a chance, it wouldn't be 100%. It would just be 100% chance of head shakes. It's cloudy with yeah. 100%. Jeez. Head cloudy shakes. With 100% chance. Up. Have you been rehearsing that? <laughs> yeah, I actually rehearsed it. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It's, yeah, it's. They're all fucked up, you know, seriously, though. in their own way. It, it's a different kind of fucked up, but but still fucked up, yeah. Hell of an intro, guys. Hell of an intro. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We'll uh, bring you more banter next week. So let's just get into it. And here we go. Ready for the head chicken. This week's murder case is taking us across the pond, as Courtney likes to say, <laughs> <laughs> to the UK, which is after the US, we have the most listeners in the UK. So this is for our... Shout out to our UK listeners. I thought you were going to explain what the UK was, which is <laughs> the United Kingdom. Hopefully you know. <laughs> which is on Earth. It is on Earth, yes. So we're going to be talking about Dennis Nielsen. <gasps> you know it? No. <laughs> he's got some pouty lips, though. He's got some like... Mm. He wasn't bad looking when he was no, young. he's got some pouty lips. He kind of looks oh, like Ben. <laughs> oh, a like little slightly. bit. Like slightly. Just in the young picture. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Ben's no? cuter. Well, I mean, obviously Ben's cuter. He's not bad looking. DSLs. He's got pouty lips. <laughs> He's got high-speed internet lips. High sp- <laughs> oh, my God. Dennis Andrew Nilsson was born on November 23rd, 1945, in the small fishing town of Fraserburg, Scotland. Of Saskatchewan. <laughs> the no. fishing town of Saskatchewan. <laughs> With whales and pike. No, Scotland. Dennis's father was actually a soldier in the Norwegian army, so he was really hardly ever around. Dennis and his siblings and their mother all lived with his maternal grandparents. In 1948, Nilsson's parents divorced, so he was only three. Nilsson was very, very close with his grandfather, even going on to say that he was the only person he ever truly loved. Dennis's grandfather was a fisherman, which was very common for people in the town, so he traveled quite a bit but always made time for Dennis when he was home. One day when Dennis was five, almost six, his mother asked him if he wanted to see his grandfather. So, of course, Dennis said yes. He went out into the living room and saw a box on the dining table. Inside the box was his dead grandfather. No one had prepared him or explained it, so he was totally blindsided. Author Brian Masters, who spent a lot of time with Dennis while he was in prison, says he thinks this is the moment when Dennis fused love with death. Mine was last week around 6 p.m. on Wednesday. (laughs) That's happened to me. Yeah, the two just go hand in hand. Brian Masters would go on to write a book called Killing for Company. It was uh, published in 1985 as a best-selling book about Nielsen, and it's one of our sources today. Dennis was a really withdrawn kid, and his mother put most of her... Yeah, because his grandfather was presented to him in a box. (laughs) Yeah, right? Okay. (laughs) His mother put most of her attention and love into his siblings, and he would shy away from physical touch. So he that wasn't really like his love language. He didn't really want to be 
hugged or anything. Uh, so did, that didn't help. Have you ever seen me try to be massaged by a... Pro- I no. will not be massaged by not, a professional not massager. Seen you try to be masseuser, massaged. Masseuser. <laughs> I hate it. It's gross. It like, ugh. I'm so tense. Jordan hates it because he always like, let's get a massage. I'm like, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> but you hug. Like, you hug me. Bob, you hug me. Oh. You hugged me when I, I walked in the door today. You literally were like, give me a hug. I did hug you. you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, back to Dennis. As a young boy, Dennis knew he was gay, but at the time it was highly unacceptable, especially in a small fishing town in northern Scotland. He suppressed his feelings and felt an immense amount of confusion and shame. In September 1961, Nielsen enrolled in the army at the age of 15, which was super young, but I guess you're allowed to do that in Scotland. He worked as a cook in the army catering corps, learning to butcher animals oh no yeah a skill he would return to later in life mm, no a little foreshadowing did he like to play with fire too fire is involved later oh, god during this time he also realized he had an interest in photography bethany no it's not me okay <laughs> i didn't have this int- let me That's explain not a sign of being no. a serial killer <laughs> let me uh explain why he was interested in photography he would have his fellow army mates pretend to be dead and he would photograph them. Oh, that's a photo shoot I've yet Remember to do. Remember, we did that one time, Corey. <laughs> totally on society normal. Six. Yeah, we did that one time. <laughs> Put that in Society Six. So if you're on T Bubble, or is it called T Bubble? <laughs> T Bubble? Is that what it's called? No, no, T Public. If you're on T Bubble, T Bubble. T Public. What's it called? T Public. If you're on T Public, send us your dead people shot. No, no, please don't. We will, don't. We'll, we'll make t shirts and posters. We will not. Oh, gee, no. we will not. We will not. Chad's out. Call 555 Wild. <laughs> Ooh, someone make a 555 Wild. Oh, do oh, it. Please yes. do it. I would love that. Yes. Wood for attorneys. Stop taking my woots. Can you let Bethany do her story, please? <laughs> In his early 20s, Dennis became obsessed with a painting called The Raft of Medusa, which today can be seen in the Louvre. And if you go to our website, you can see a picture of this painting. He particularly focused on the older man with his arm draped over a younger, seemingly dead boy in the front left of the painting. Bethany, why do all your paintings always have like (laughs) dick in them? Yes. (laughs) I don't pick I don't pick these. You don't pick the dicks. No. (laughs) This is your second story in a row that has prominently featured penises. It's not me, it's the murderers. (laughs) You pick the murderers. I guess there's a sign, there's a connection. I never go into it. Hoping there's a dick painting. By the way, the old man with his arm around the dead guy looks bored. How can he be bored in that scene? Doesn't he just be like, oh, there's a dead guy I'm touching. Anyway, Dennis fixated on the two of them and he took this image and began to develop fantasies around it. What? Dennis began to lose himself in his fantasies, allowing them to take over a large portion of his time. In his free time while in the army, he would stare at himself in a mirror in his room and masturbate. This then transformed into placing the mirror so he couldn't see his own face. Then, drawing inspiration from the Raft of Medusa painting, he would fantasize that the body in the mirror was a young boy and the faceless head was an old man. Sometimes, Nilsson would play the role of the boy, and other times, he would be the old man. Obviously, he's How did he him the whole time, but I'm... Okay... <laughs> What? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm yes. starting to think something's wrong with him. Oh, oh my God. 
I just don't understand how you pull that from this it's, it's about to go further. Okay. In fact, the next line in my <laughs> in my note says, escalating further, he began putting talc powder on his face and charcoal under his eyes to make himself look dead. He put holes in his shirt and used red food dye to make it look like he had been shot. He would then lay in front of the mirror with his mouth open as if he were dead. Cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah. himself. With just himself. He's creative. Nielsen would lose himself in his fantasy world, imagining he was a young officer who had been killed and left in the woods, only to be discovered by an old hermit who took him back mm-hmm. to his home. And I'm sure you can guess where the fantasy goes from there. No, I can't. Can you explain it to <laughs> us? No. <laughs> they smoke some weed and order KFC. Yeah, that, that's it. You know what? Foreshadowing KFC comes up later in the story. What? Just, really? Do not ruin serious? KFC for me. I love KFC. I have a fifth sense. You do. You do. I love KFC. You can always tell when there's fried chicken. It's your ghost telling you things. I had KFC about three months ago. I, I talked about this yesterday. It was the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. The woman gave me an extra piece <laughs> of chicken. I still t- I still t- think about this KFC meal I had. It was fantastic. Sometimes it's really good. I haven't had yes. KFC in years. In 1972, Nielsen left the army and moved to London. Nielsen said he left the army on his own accord, but in reality, he was actually asked to leave. You know it's bad when the army asks you yeah. to leave. <laughs> like we're good. And they're like losing a battle at the yeah. same time. Like we don't need we you. Go. We're yeah. good. We're going to excuse you today. He actually applied to extend his today. <laughs> he actually applied to extend his time in the army but was denied because of his bad hygiene mm. and because he had gotten into a physical fight with his roommate because of the awful smells his pet turtle was creating. <laughs> How do you have a pet turtle in the army? <laughs> what? You're not That's supposed the most to. random thing I've ever <laughs> heard. Turtle? Are you making stuff up again? No. We've talked to you Bethany about making up details. I know. No, no. He at first he had a bird and then the roommate was like, no, no, we're not going to have a bird. And it would like squawk all the time. So then he got <laughs> they a turtle. have roommates in the Swedish army? Scottish army? <laughs> like, what is going on? Once in London, Dennis joined the Metropolitan Police as a constable. He became fascinated. Do a uh, background check, police officers, please. Thanks. I mean, all they would find, though, he hasn't done he anything. He was discharged. He was asked to leave the army. Well, technically, he was applying to stay longer, and they just said, no, thanks. We don't oh, need you to stay longer. We don't like your turtle. <laughs> so, Do you bring his turtle to the police force? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Oh. <laughs> Give that turtle a home. So he wasn't actually discharged from the army. Oh, they gotcha. just didn't allow him to re-up, basically. Dennis became fascinated with autopsied bodies and visiting the morgue because on one occasion, there was an autopsied body of a young girl who he thought looked like a boy that was being pushed around the room by the coroner who just happened to be an old man. What was this guy doing pushing around this girl? No, just like moving her, you know. I picture them laying like, wee, like in a grocery (laughs) store. No, 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 no. That's so bad. No, like from one... Space in the room to the other space. Anyway, this image furthered his fantasy about old men and dead bodies. What do you think Ben's going to look like old? Hot. Oh, (laughs) so you fantasize about old men too. I mean, a nice looking man with salt and pepper hair is not, I mean, there's some, there's some really good. That guy in that picture is not an old man with salt and pepper hair. That's like Moses on the (laughs) carving out a rock. Moses. Nielsen left the police after less than a year, claiming it was because of homophobia from his fellow officers. He then got a job as a civil servant working in a job center. 
London did have a gay scene, unlike the small town Nielsen had grown up in, so he was able to finally explore his sexuality more. He had a relationship with a guy named David Gallican for about 18 months, but it eventually ended. He had really liked having someone around all the time and became more and more lonely after his relationship with David ended. Nielsen wasn't able to easily build relationships with people, so he began drinking more and more to cope. He had several short-lived relationships and hookups, but what started becoming more and more clear was that Dennis was really only attracted to dead bodies. His fantasies, loneliness, and a desire for ultimate control culminated and led to a murder spree that would make him infamous in UK serial killer history. In the early 80s, lots of young people started moving to London in search of an exciting life in the city, kind of like New York in America. With this influx of young people brought a rise in missing persons. 8,000 people were listed as missing in London at any given time during the early 80s. 1,000? Oh, my God. Yes. Isn't that insane? That's like o- almost the size of my hometown, <laughs> Elvendale. That's crazy. It was also a time, not just in London, but worldwide, where there was still extreme homophobia. If a crime occurred involving someone who was gay, police often did little investigating, if any at all. That's sad. Even in London? hmm Wow. Yeah. On December 30th, 1978, Nielsen met 14-year-old Stephen Holmes at a pub. Stephen, who was obviously underage, was trying to drink in the pub, so Nielsen helped him out. The two then went back to Nielsen's flat, where Stephen stayed the night. Dennis woke up first the next morning, and he really didn't want Stephen to leave. So he strangled Stephen with a tie before drowning him in a bucket of water. Nielsen hung Stephen's body upside down from the rafters and washed him. He then laid the body in his bed. He thought the corpse was beautiful and slept with it in his bed next to him that night. No! Yeah. Nielsen kept Stephen's body under the floorboards of his flat for eight months. What? Okay, hold on. Wouldn't that smell? It did. Not only did it smell, but it brought insects and flies, Mm -mm. and the body became infested with maggots. Oh, no. He would have to spray for bugs twice a day, and he would throw deodorant sticks and smelly good things down on the floorboards. I'm feeling very sick. It's bad. So once the body reached, you know, past the point of no return, way past the point of no return, Nielsen cut Stephen's body into pieces and then burned them in a bonfire in his back garden, or what Americans would call a backyard. He placed rubber tires on the fire to help disguise the smell. That's interesting. I've never heard of someone doing that before. The tires. That's kind of smart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really smart. Not giving anyone ideas or anything. Yeah, 555 wild. <laughs> Doesn't he look like Bob Dylan, like a young Bob Dylan? He does. That That's what I think too, yeah. Professor and criminologist David Wilson interviewed Dennis Nielsen many times, trying to comprehend what motivated him. David came to the conclusion that Nielsen killed because it was a sexual fantasy driven by ultimate control and power. Although Dennis always denied it, David Wilson believes Nielsen did in fact have sex with the corpses of his victims. Dennis would only admit to masturbating over the dead bodies. Oh, okay. I know, Uh, right? St. Dennis. Yeah. David Wilson refers to Nielsen as a true narcissist. So Dennis became known as TTM, or the taxi man, in the gay community of London, He would approach men he could tell were stretched for money, could use a ride, or needed a place to stay. He would invite these men to come to his flat for a drink and a warm place to stay the night. 
Nielsen is quoted as saying, quote, lead and they will follow so easily. He targeted men he thought would not be missed, and to Nielsen, this meant runaways, sex workers, homeless, young, vulnerable men, and sometimes homosexuals. So not all of his victims were also gay. In London's gay community, he was becoming known as being violent and having a bad temper. On December 3rd, 1979, Dennis met a Canadian man named Kenneth Ockenden in a pub. As Kenneth was a tourist, the two spent the day sightseeing and then went to Nielsen's apartment that night. They were drinking and listening to music when Nielsen strangled and killed Kenneth with the cord of his headphones. God. He repeated his ritual of cleaning the body, placing it in his bed, and sleeping next to it at night. He photographed the body around his apartment with a Polaroid camera and then hid the corpse under the floorboards. Nielsen would bring Kenneth's body back out and have conversations with it. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He would also sit the body in a chair and listen to music or watch TV. There's something obviously weird when you, you know, that's a simple word to say, but you could have just kept him alive and did the same thing. He didn't want anyone to talk back or interrupt or leave. Uh, it was a control thing. We could not have been friends because I talk <laughs> a lot. Definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. In May 1980, Dennis invited 16-year-old Martin Duffy to spend the night with him. Oh, Martin's cute. I know. After Martin had fallen asleep, Nielsen strangled him until he was unconscious and then drowned him in the kitchen sink. He kept Martin's body in a wardrobe and then eventually put him under the floorboards with Kenneth Ockenden's body. So now he has two bodies in the floorboards. Before the end of the year, Nielsen killed five more men, but only one was ever identified. He was 27-year-old William David Sutherland, and he was also strangled to death. Hold on. Is he living in an apartment? Yes, he, but it's a ground floor apartment, and he has access to the back garden or the backyard, basically. But wouldn't the smell still go up into the above apartment. Yes, yeah, so neighbors would complain about the smell and he would just chalk it up to it being an old building that was like settling. You know, when you the building settles, a lot of dead bodies come up, so it's natural oh. they they bought it. What? I know, it doesn't make sense, but that's what he would tell them. Okay. It's this real distinct um getting hints, notes of 20 something blonde boy. Okay. Oh, oh no. Jeez. No. So bad. So I was getting ready to say before you asked, Courtney. So for all of these killings, Dennis lived at 195 Melrose Avenue. He was in a ground floor flat with a back garden. So as the bodies began to decompose, Nielsen would dismember them on his kitchen floor, Mm. then burn them in bonfires to get rid of the evidence. Mm. In September 1981, Nielsen met Malcolm Barlow. And the photo he is a little boy. That's the only picture that they have of oh, him. Oh, okay. I was like, oh my yeah. God. But he he wasn't a little boy. I think he was in his 20s when this happened. Malcolm had epilepsy, and when he started to have a seizure, Nielsen called an ambulance, and Malcolm was taken to the hospital. The next day, Malcolm came back to thank Nielsen for his help. <sighs> After eating dinner and having some drinks, Malcolm fell asleep. Then Nielsen strangled him and stored his body under his kitchen sink. You literally save <sighs> his life with the... One the day, day the before. next day you kill yeah. him. In October 1981, Dennis had to move to a different apartment because his landlord wanted to renovate the building. After burning the bodies that remained in his flat, Nielsen moved to an attic apartment in the Muswell Hill area of London. And there's a picture of both apartment buildings side by side if you want to reference them. 
It was here that he murdered John Howlett, Graham Allen, and Stephen Sinclair. Not having access to a backyard, he had to come up with another way to get rid of his victims' bodies. This is taking it to another level. Dennis would dismember them on a wooden board that he placed over his bathtub. He would cut their internal organs into small pieces and then flush them down the toilet. Oh my God. He would boil the head, hands, feet, and any tougher organs and then flush the soupy remains down the toilet. <sighs> Courtney is in full head shake mode. Eyes are closed. <laughs> kind of looks like she might pass out. Oh my God. And it's like soup weather. Outside, so that doesn't help. No, it's so bad, so bad. He threw some of the bones away in a dump, and with the others, he would store them in a tea chest and sprinkle them with salt. This is why sometimes I can't go back and listen to our episodes, because, like, I heard it once, I don't need to hear it again. On February 8th, 1983, a plumber was called to the residence where Nielsen lived because of clogged pipes. Mm, Wonder why. The problem with killing people, chopping them up, and throwing them into your pipes is if you have a backup, you can never call a plumber. Never. You just have to move out and move (laughs) then out of the country. That's not what Dennis does. It was night when the plumber arrived. It was sleeting and snowing, but the plumber saw what he thought were human remains almost instantly. He decided to come back the next morning to investigate in the light of day. While the plumber was down there, the residents were kind of gathering around to see what was going on. So Nielsen's playing dumb. So his explanation is, oh, I guess someone's been flushing their KFC down the toilet. You do not talk about KFC that way. (laughs) Who flushes KFC down the toilet? Which is just a sign of his psychopathy is like, oh, that's a rational explanation over you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I have KFC, it's so good, I might eat the bones. Ew. Okay? So those aren't going down the toilet. <laughs> Courtney's giving him the weirdest look. Mm, bone marrow. The plumber decided to leave and come back the next day to investigate when the light was out. So throughout the night, Nielsen tried his best to remove the remains and clean the pipes that were down in the manhole. When the plumber returned the next morning, it was obvious that the drain had been cleaned, but he still called police anyway. Police were able to recover several pieces of flesh and also some bones. I know it's the worst word. We need to get one of those sensors. So when you, some one of us <laughs> say flesh, it's like beep. <laughs> they also found some bones from a human hand. They said it was like a knuckle. Ew. I don't know. It could have been KFC. Chickens don't have knuckles, though. I like how you looked at your hand like you <laughs> thought of that for a second. Like, could it be KFC? No. I think it's going to be a while before I eat KFC. No, I'll eat it right now. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They knew the remains had to have come from either the middle or top floor flat because of where the pipe's blockage began. So since the middle floor was vacant, that only left Dennis Nielsen on the top attic floor. The first floor tenants also reported seeing Dennis messing with the manhole throughout the night. Police waited for Dennis to arrive home from work that evening, then went with him up to his flat. Upon entering, the police were overcome with the smell of death. Dennis knew the gig was up, so he told police where they could find the remaining body parts. They found two large trash bags inside a wardrobe filled with human remains. Mm -hmm. Nielsen was taken into custody under the suspicion of murder, and in the police car on the way to the station, the officer sitting beside him asked if they were dealing with one or two bodies because he felt like there was a lot of remains in those bags. Nielsen informed them he had killed 15 or 16. Oh, wow. Later, he would change this number to 12, so we're not totally sure. Regardless, it's a lot. 
Police found a head in a pot that had been boiling. In his bathroom, he had turned a dresser drawer upside down on the floor, hiding a pair of human legs under it. There's a picture of his bathroom. And to the left, you can see like a makeshift shelf. That's a dresser drawer that he's turned upside down and the legs are under it. They also discovered four trash bags containing human organs. There was a wooden box containing limbs and a torso. Dennis was extremely open with police, telling them everything he had done and answering all of their questions. Police said his only concern was regarding his dog, who he had left behind at his flat. In true serial killer form, Dennis's victims meant nothing to him, and he could only remember the names of three of them. He drew a map of the yard behind his house on Melrose Avenue, showing police where he had burned his victims. Police then began excavating the garden and found thousands of pieces of bone fragments in the process. There's pictures of the tent in his backyard and police excavating the grounds. The first victim to be identified by police was Stephen Sinclair. They had found a hand in Nelson's flat and were able to match the fingerprints to Stephen. Hold on. I just did a bad thing. I zoomed in on this picture, which I shouldn't have, and I did. But I'm pretty sure this is hair sticking out the pot. Uh-huh. Wow, I didn't notice that before. Oh, wow. That's Ew. like a lot of hair. I had not noticed that until you just showed <gasps> me that. Bad, bad thing. Ew. A bad, bad thing. That's like oh, a wig no. amount of oh, hair. no. There's a head in there, y'all. Don't well, yeah, zoom, Yeah, there is a head in there, but I had not noticed the hair. I wonder wow. if that's blood right there on the long side of that sink. His, he said it, there was actually a very little blood involved because he kept the bodies for so long. So their hearts, you know, weren't pumping and your blood congeals over time. So by the time he actually dismembered the bodies, there wasn't hardly any blood. So it wasn't as bloody as you'd think it would be. Okay. That's definitely hair. That's hair. <gasps> Regardless that's of the murders. Uh, he needed some Mr. Clean magic eraser on that stove. <laughs> that thing is gross. Yeah, he's n- his hygiene and his cleanliness and his home need some help. Go to this picture and just zoom in and just play I Spy. No, don't. <laughs> You'll have nightmares. Quite interesting. Don't. Like, and please don't do that while you're eating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just a backtrack. So the first victim to be identified by police was Stephen Sinclair. They had found a hand in Nielsen's flat and were then able to match the fingerprints to Stephen. Nielsen was then officially charged with murder. Seven men were able to escape Nielsen before he was finally arrested. Some men did not make reports to police because they weren't openly gay. (sighs) Yeah. The men who did make reports to police said that the police did little to follow up, largely because of homophobic prejudices. So essentially, the police were thinking it was like a homosexual BDSM experience gone too far. Mm-hmm. Over the years, Nielsen had been questioned three times after various complaints, but nothing else was ever done and no charges were ever filed. Nielsen would always chalk it up to being too drunk to even really remember the instances, saying that he might have gone too far, but he was drunk, which he did drink a lot every time he murdered someone. But that's not an excuse, obviously. Yeah. Only eight of Nilsson's victims were ever identified. The rest are still unknown to this day. The cost of the investigation was extremely high, so after being charged with six counts of murder and two charges of attempted murder, the investigation was closed. Police found three different dental plates, all of which were made in Germany. So the investigators requested to inquire further in Germany, hoping to identify the people that they belonged to, but the request was denied because of the cost. 
So there's families out there who just will never have an answer. The cost was denied. Mm -hmm. Their reasoning was like, hey, we're going to try him for six murders. He's never going to be out again. Let's just go with what we have, which is kind of gross to me. I mean, those families will never get the official closure that they deserve. And the victims even. Days before Nielsen's trial, a jawbone that had been found by police was finally able to be identified. It belonged to 28-year-old Graham Allen. Because of the timing, Graham's murder was not able to be added to the indictment against Nielsen. Because they just wanted to keep going kind of thing? They weren't able to identify it officially until just a couple days before the trial started. Okay. So because of the legal laws and rules, they couldn't. it was too late to add another yeah. name to the trial, essentially. And this is crazy. It wasn't until 2006 that Stephen Holmes was able to be identified as being a victim of Nielsen. Wow. Yeah. Dennis Nielsen's trial began on October 24, 1983. He pled not guilty, claiming he had diminished responsibility, which in America we would refer to as like an insanity plea. The prosecution read all of Nielsen's police confessions to the jury. They also provided the jury with the testimony of three survivors who had all been strangled by Nielsen, Paul Nobbs, Douglas Stewart, and Carl Stodder. So I'm going to play a clip from an interview that Carl Stodder did with the show called Real Crime UK. And the song that is playing throughout the clip in the beginning was Dennis Nielsen's favorite song. He was a huge music guy, huge audiophile. And he would play this song almost every time he killed someone. So he would play it either while he killed them or right after. So here is Carl Stodder's um, recollection of what he encountered with Dennis. He invited me back to his place. We got into a cab and went to um, Cranley Gardens. We had a couple of drinks and uh, we were listening to some music. I think it was Laurie Anderson's Oh Superman. It seemed like an old house. Um, there was sort of like... Um, a smell in the house, um, which I put down to age. Um, he said he had a dog, so I thought maybe, you know, doggy smells. But it wasn't sort of like anything that really sort of like bothered me at the time. Um, obviously what I didn't realise was that there was decaying bodies in the house. We, we went to bed. There was a little bit of physical contact, not much. And... He um, told me to be careful of the sleeping bag zip, which had sort of like come away from the sleeping bag, uh, because I might get caught up in it. This is the hand. I woke up with the, the, the sleeping bag zip around my neck, and as I put my hands up to feel where the pressure was coming from, I thought Nelson was trying to help me out of the zip. And then the next thing I remember is being immersed in in um, cold water, um, which was when he tried to um, uh, drown me. I remember coming round and I had no memory of what he'd done. And he said, I got caught up in the sleeping bag zip. And I did say something about the water and he said, I had to put you in cold water because you were in shock. 
I was in a lot of pain. My face was slightly swollen. There was small blood hemorrhages all over my face. So I just got myself to the hospital. The doctor turned around and he said, well, I, th I think somebody's trying to kill you. And I mean, the thing is, you know, <laughs> somebody's going to try and kill you. They're not going to let you walk out of their house. It was actually, I think, three months later when I actually started to get flashbacks. I spoke to family members um, and we all just thought, well, you know, go and get some psychiatric help because probably my mind's magnified it, exaggerated it. And I sort of like managed to convince myself that it, it was just me. I was told afterwards that he'd actually given me heart massage and mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation and brought me back to life. Nielsen claimed because he thought what passed between us was a thin strand of love and humanity. And the police said it was simply because there wasn't enough room in the flat to, to have another body sort of like um, hidden there. Wow. No. Okay, there's a lot of terrifying things in that clip. The most terrifying might be that song. The song I is crazy. Can't. Uh, that's uh, just uh, it's uh, like an uh, over eight minutes long song. And over it, eight it minutes of that? that? Uh, uh, like the whole time. Oh my god. The lyrics towards the end it talks about like picking them up, the hands of a military man, and like all the and he Nielsen would say that he got the biggest thrill when he picked up the limp dead body and carried it to be cleaned. That was like his favorite part Ew. of the process. Before you started Playing that, you talked about the song he listened to. It yeah. reminds me of the movie American Psycho. Yeah, exactly. Where he starts listening to the music yes. before he kills people. That's like exactly. The 80s. Oh. Like, that's literally David Nielsen. I almost wonder if he inspired that part of be. that movie. Because he was a huge music guy. Like, music was life to him. Huge audiophile. And that's why, like, sometimes he'd bring men back and not even touch them. But sometimes he would. And the so if the song hit him right, he would kill them. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh my god. It's crazy. I'm just uh, uh, It's uh, so bad. Can you imagine you're you're being killed and all you hear in the background is uh, 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 terrifying. Oh. oh. Nightmare. Uh that song is called Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. Sorry, Laurie. Yeah. Bad song. He uh turned it bad. <laughs> Laurie, I'm sure it was a beautiful song when you wrote it. It's kind of a cool song, but when you put it in the context of murdering someone while you're listening to it, then it becomes very, very scary. To be fair, the ABCs probably would be creepy if you put it in that <laughs> yeah, context. for real. On November 4th, 1983, Dennis Nielsen was found guilty on all counts. He was initially sentenced to a minimum of 25 years, but it was later changed to life in prison. In 2018, at the age of 72, Nielsen died in prison. According to the coroner, Nielsen spent his last hours in excruciating pain, suffering from a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. That sounds painful. Good? Yeah. Am I allowed to say good? Sure. Yeah. Okay. You can say whatever you want. Okay. Well, good. Good for this him. This is really interesting to me. suffered. Because how some people get sent to a psychiatric ward for murder and then some people get put away in prison i mean he's obviously insane right but but again it comes down to do you know the difference between right, right and or wrong, wrong. Yeah. clearly there's you know yes you're insane you're nuts but are you legally insane is the question and every killer is insane but do you know the muffet man <laughs> 
who lives on Drury Lane. <laughs> yes. Because originally Dennis was going to plead guilty, but he thought, hey, if I switch this, I can pro- I might have a chance. So that's the only reason why he even, you know, pled not guilty. But because he had been so detailed and so forthcoming in his confessions with police and he left, you know, victims alive who could, that's you true. know, show that he knew what he was doing and he was, you know, clearly not doing good so that's really shocking that he left victims alive yeah after he had done so much yeah i mean that guy he literally revived him yeah he literally brought carl back to life what's well, because he ran out of space that's Didn't he yeah say that that's what the, the police think yeah mm-hmm. but you're right that normally doesn't happen but yeah he, it's not like he had control or yeah he decided to save somebody he ran out of space yeah i know that um the two other or at least one of the other victims who test all three of them testified in court and one of them he came to enough to be able to fight Dennis, to fight back. And so that's the only reason why Dennis let him go, because he kind of overpowered Dennis. But Carl, he wasn't able to fight back. He was in the dead sleep, you know. So on Sundance Now, you can watch a three-part drama about Dennis Nielsen. It's called Des. And actor David Tennant plays Nielsen. His performance is incredible. If you look at the picture, he creepily looks a lot like Dennis. Uh, David Tennant, he was in Broadchurch. If anyone watched that on Netflix, super good. He was in Doctor Who and Jessica Jones. He's a really good actor. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought that was him him in the picture. No, that's uh, David Tennant, the actor on the left, and then Dennis on the right. So police officers who arrested Nielsen said that watching David Tennant's performance was like being back in the room with Nielsen. <gasps> oh, that's yeah. good. Get so, that get that man on an award. Yeah, I watched it. It's really good. And I highly recommend it. It really shows his coldness and lack of emotion. It's crazy. So lastly, after doing literally all of my research, <laughs> I found that this month, like literally any day now, an autobiography that Dennis wrote while in prison called History of a Drowning Boy will be published in the UK. Ew. Yeah. By the time this episode comes out, it might have already been published. It's literally going to be any day that it's published in the UK. It's super, super long, and it's edited by Mark Austin, who was a jail pen pal turned friend of Nielsen. Dennis Nielsen tried to publish the book in the 90s, but the government didn't allow it. And according to news outlets, Dennis writes about being molested by his grandfather, which is very different from his accounts earlier. Mm-hmm. He also admits to new crimes, including murder, sex crimes, and possible pedophilia. Mm. He denies any cannibal behavior, but does admit that he thought about potentially feeding the meat to his dog, but he didn't. Families of the victims are totally against the publishing of this book, calling it, quote, morally wrong and saying, quote, it's as if he's still laughing at us from beyond the grave. But according to the book editor, Mark Austin, he says that the royalties will go to charity. And he said, quote, if that might help prevent one future victim, then it has to be worth it. So I don't know. I The one thing that I will say is Nielsen, all he had was time. He wrote literally like over 4,000 pages while he was in prison and his story evolved every time. So it's hard to know he's full of crap. What's true. What's him like making an excuse or trying to make him look better than he really was. You know what I mean? So I don't know that you can really take that autobiography 
for what it is, but it's an autobiography ish. Ish. Yeah. I mean, he wrote it, but who knows? Even the police are like, you never know if he's telling the truth or not, or if it's just, they said that there's like little kernels of truth, but it's usually exaggerated or, you know, Colonel tr- tried to <laughs> AFC. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're in the UK, you can probably find that book um, on Amazon. I feel like I don't want to read it or look into it because the families aren't aren't into yeah. it and yeah. I, I want to support the families um over anyone else and i feel like there's enough information out there about him as far as learning goes for criminologists and things that we don't need another book but there are reviews about it on goodreads some people have been given advanced copies goodreads. I love goodreads. yeah and some people are like oh my gosh it's so freaking long it's just rambling 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 some people are like it's a fascinating look at a serial killer's mind it's just kind of kind of all over the place so all that to say, this has been the story of the very messed up and disturbed Dennis Nielsen. That's an understatement. Very disturbed. Very disturbed. Still hungry, Courtney? No. Yeah, we can cancel our reservation. Hold on, though. We have to go back to this photo. Which one? The kitchen one. Oh, no. Not again. Oh, I don't want to ever think about that again. <laughs> we have to go back. I don't ever want to go into a kitchen so- again. You said, so in that one, it says um, boiled heads in the pot on the stove, which yeah. we saw the hair coming out. The next one is like an up close of the bathroom, and it says legs were found under the makeshift shelf. But mm-hmm. go back to the kitchen one and zoom in on the bathroom. Oh, no. The shelf is moved because the mirror is not there. Do you see like the feet? What? <gasps> Where? Because the shelf is moved. Oh, no. The shelf is moved, and you can see the feet. Yes, which picture? So see where the mirror is, and see where the shelf is compared to the toilet. Now go back to the kitchen picture, and zoom in. The shelf is moved. Oh my god! There's no mirror, and you can see the feet. Oh no! Yeah, that's I did not catch that either. This photo is highly, highly disturbing. Now that I this is the worst photo I've ever seen. All the things. It looks like someone's nightmare. I, I, it, it looks like a bad fairy tale photo, doesn't it? Like, are those shoes like on the feet? Yeah. Ew. Yeah. <gasps> no. See, you can tell. Yeah. Because it's a you're, different you're location right. than the next picture. Wow, Courtney, you are good. Wow. That's disturbing. Oh, I mean, I, it, it I, was I, already I, disturbing just knowing that they were under there, but wow. I'm, I'm stopping. Yeah. I might not need dinner tonight. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I just zoom in. I always zoom in on the photos, you know, and I just clearly I I don't. (laughs) So bad. We want to thank Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah, so Podcorn is a website that we are using as a new podcast. Basically, you can go on and find brands that are looking for places to advertise. And it's great because you can read descriptions about them, see if they might be in line with the topic of your podcast or maybe even a product you personally use. What I think is really cool about this website is in my real life job, we get a lot of emails from people who want to have us sponsor them or they're pitching us a product and we just delete things because we know that they're pitches that we don't yeah. even care about. With this, you're working with people who you know are looking for these connections. And I right. think that's really cool. It makes it so much easier. So much easier. It's like finding a comfortable pair of pants, I feel like. <laughs> you know? 
What's great about Podcorn too is it doesn't matter how big or small your podcast is, whether you have a million downloads an episode or 10, you can find brands that align with you and get started. Also, can I just say Podcorn is a fun word to say? (laughs) Podcorn. (laughs) There's national brands like Hulu and all the way down to smaller independently owned companies. There's also other podcasts that are looking for places to promote their show. Yeah, no one likes rejection. And this takes a lot of that out of the process. Totally. I mean, I've never been rejected in my entire life. I don't know how it feels, (laughs) but Podcorn will take that out of your life. Thanks again to Podcorn for sponsoring our episode. Click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Okay, I feel like after that story, my story is perfect timing. Good. Because A, no one dies. And B, there is music involved, but it doesn't go. Ha, 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 ha. That's a plus. There might be some ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Most of us are scared to be hacked, Mm -hmm. to have our personal information stolen. And also like hacked with an axe, yes. Or hacked with an axe. (laughs) But in this case, since I have the wild story, it's not about murder. True. Uh, I'm talking about to have your identity stolen. Do you remember a few years ago, there was a lot of big national companies that had their yeah. systems hacked and everyone had like free lifeline or whatever it was called for like a year, yeah. all those things. And everyone oh, had their, yeah. remember that? And I actually know some people who've had their identity stolen. It's a nightmare to get that stuff reclaimed. Right. It's yeah. just, it's just awful. Well, some people are into that. Some people want to get hacked and they get off on being hacked. What? They want to be hacked? Uh, and those people are called pay pigs. What? Pay pigs? This is a story about people who are called pay pigs. I have never I've heard, heard of this. I've heard about the Bay of Pigs. This is not the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> I almost did a murder story about pigs, which would have been nuts. Uh, that would have been really weird. <laughs> yeah, that no, no, pi- no pigs are murdered in this story. Okay. I got a lot of information from the story from Vice and Rolling Stone interviews and then there's also a short interviews from BuzzFeed. And because there aren't a lot of stories about pay pigs, I wanted to say that up front. So there's a lot of original reporting and a lot of um, original quotes that I'll, that I'll talk about. In Mistress Harley's home, there was a pile of packages scattered throughout her property. A pair of glossy Louboutin sits waiting to be worn. On this particular day, dresses, tights, and a gift card had arrived. The gift card is placed on top of a growing pile sitting on a side table. The packages and the clothes are gifts from clients. She picked them up from a P.O. box she has, so her home address remains private. Throughout her time in business, she has received from her clients enough jewelry and lingerie to fill a few drawers. Her clients are known as pay pigs. Mistress Harley? Mistress Harley. Is she on OnlyFans? I bet she is. She probably created. She looks uh, like a fans. nice church-going young woman. There is a picture. She could be of her, which I was going to say later. But now that we've talked about her picture, there is a picture of her. Simply put, pay pigs. I love saying that. Also, I, it makes me hungry for bacon. Ew! Ew! No. Mm, no, it really does. No, 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 no. It does. No. Chad. Simply put, pay pigs find pleasure in losing control of their digital life. To them, getting hacked is the ultimate turn on. They get off on surrendering to digital dominatrix, like Mistress Harley. Digital dominatrix? I have not heard that term before. 
Like Mistress Harley, who offered the thrill of being hacked without the normal repercussions of a real hack or stolen identity scheme. Some of these digital dominatrix call it a modern form of submission for the digital age. Wait, How so the... they're not really getting hacked? I'm confused. Oh no, we'll get into it. Okay. I wh- I'm sorry. <laughs> what the hell is happening? There's something for everyone. Where the Something's hell do people find this shit? Only fans, only fans. Online. Where do you find everything (laughs) these days? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This hacking role play is called financial domination or FINDOM. Which is when one person gives another control of their finances as a form of shame or embarrassment. Hmm. A particular FINDOM who goes by Goddess Jasmine said, My most famous line is the sexiest thing about a man is the bulge in his wallet. Break I mean, me, baby, break me. I'll be someone's fin dom. I know. Right? I know. I'm, like, right? I'm, think- okay. I'm thinking about a career change. Give me access to that. I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite stories I've ever found. I'm excited. These transactions can happen in person at cash point meets where the fin dom and pay pig meet at agreed upon ATM, or they can happen online. Most fin doms prefer the latter, using cams and chats to communicate with their clients. Camming websites like Nightflirt allow pay pigs to send tributes or tips, which makes for a steady influx of money for the doms. To feel truly powerless, submissives allow a FinDom to take over their computer, typically using software like TeamViewer. TeamViewer is a remote access business software meant for more mainstream practices, like a salesperson leading a team through training. But because you can use it to give a remote person temporary access to your computer, it makes for a perfect role play situation so do you see what they're doing in most sessions the clients hand over access to emails photos bank accounts and online financial accounts like paypal one dom said they are literally just watching as you take their money right in front of their eyes and there's nothing they can do about it and there's more to it than just money one fin dom said quote i've gone through photo albums and emails and social media messages and they like the thrill of threatened blackmail and exposure So back to our friend, Mistress Harley. When this vice reporter sits down to interview her, Harley says, quote, just so you know, your feet are streaming on my webcam. (laughs) The reporter replied, my feet aren't really that sexy right now. Harley laughs, quote, just having them there is probably exciting enough for these dudes. Harley says the webcam is used as a marketing tool to encourage people to visit her site. There's usually not much going on, but pay pigs will watch for the most minute detail. Weird. Harley starts by using TeamViewer on the reporter's computer. So she's basically showing her uh-huh. how she works. Normally, clients pay $10 a minute. What? Whoa. Just to see her on Skype. Clients find her through various channels, advertising, chat rooms, Twitter. She has books, word of mouth, referrals, and a prime SEO program, which is search engine optimization as those like me in the PR and marketing world know it as. <laughs> so do you guys know what search engine optimization yeah. is? Okay. So basically, it's a way to, for people to find you online if you type in like crime podcasts and we would pop up if right. we're doing it you know, correctly or spending a lot of money on it. In the session with the reporter, Mistress Harley digs through her personal files. She combs through internet search history and prods her email. She quickly finds personal information like her address, driver's license, and even her social security number. Next, Harley hacks the reporter's Facebook and starts sending messages to guys this reporter once knew. 
The reporter watches helplessly as Harley starts a conversation with, Hey, sexy, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) She's only a few clicks away from posting on the reporter's wall where, if she does, friends, coworkers, and the reporter's mom will see everything. Although the reporter says she's not into being shamed, she can feel a thrill coursing through her body. Yeah. Oh, wow. Harley says, quote, people are willing to spend money to chase that excitement and fear. Mm. People love being terrified, especially if it's a beautiful woman taking over your life. I've definitely exposed people. I've posed dirty pictures of them on their Facebook or I've posted, quote, I have a hot internet mistress, end quote, along with a picture of myself. She's faked mental breakdowns on clients' profiles. Oh, wow. In one specific case, she started with a simple post of, quote, I'm not feeling well. As people responded in real time, she began to escalate up to something resembling schizophrenia. Oh, wow. So you know how in normal subdom situations, there are safe words right. to kind of get yeah. you up? Well, not with Mistress Harley. Oh. She instead offers buyouts. Basically, you have to pay her to stop. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. While Harley doesn't touch the reporter's work emails or bank accounts, she's done it before. Quote, I've been in the Chrysler network, the oh. car company. Oh, my gosh. University networks. Oh, wow. In their university chairman's email and in the government network. Oh, wow. In the government network. Jeez. So you might wonder, how does someone like Harley begin? There aren't classes in high school or college degrees <laughs> in becoming a FinDom, so how does one like Mistress Harley get started? Harley got her start in technology back in 2000, first as a quality assurance tester for a Silicon Valley software company, then eventually as a product manager in the gaming industry. Quote, I just really hated working at an office. I would go on vacation and tell my friends, I don't know if I can go back. Then she heard that a few friends were making extra money webcamming. So she did the same thing. Earning was sporadic in the beginning, earning a few hundred dollars here and there. Quote, one day my husband saw me webcamming looking very, very bored. He said, you know, you can do something different. There's another fetish called financial domination. Oh, wow. Her husband? So her husband her? got her wow. into this. I mean, he wants that money. <laughs> well, I'm looking at her house. She lives in a yeah. nice house. Yeah. No, I mean, she's got it made. Eventually, Harley combined the skills she gained through programming and doming to control clients' digital lives. She's written several Kindle books about her work, including consensual blackmail manual, porn sexual, and tech dom. Mm. She's released videos and has created an app for Android users. When the interview was conducted, she said she's made more that year than she ever did in tech. So I also researched her app. It's called the Tech Dom app, spelled T-E-C-H-D-O-M-M-E. And the marketing for it's pretty funny. So you know how a lot of times you go to an app and it says like how to download an app. So this says it on there too, but it says uh, the first direction says from your phone in all capitals. And it says from your phone, idiot, (laughs) (laughs) download the app from the button above and at tech Dom is her Twitter handle. If you want to find her, she also has a hip hop rap album available, which she says is the only dominatrix fin Dom album ever. Hmm. And I want to pull up a couple songs from her album, tech Dom. So these two songs are called Tech Dom and Sissy Boy. Oh, so sissy we're going to listen boy. to it real quick. Mean, I get the green, or you're just a cog in my machine. You have to pay for attention. Supply and demand's not a new invention. Now you're a slave in my possession. Your money is mine, it's not even a question. Banana can sing about whips and chains, but financial domination is the real power game. I'll take your cash. 
She's honest. I mean, she's right though. Rihanna did S and M, and that was true. a big hit. So why not, girl? I think I saw some girls jump roping into that. <laughs> yeah, no. If they were to play this at the club, I would go straight out to the dance floor. Here's the other song that I wanted to play. Okay. I'll oh get to God. why I wanted to play that because <laughs> she ha- she actually has a purpose and I'll, she says she has a purpose. So I'll get to that okay. pretty soon. So the reporter met one of Harley's regular. Wait, her name is Mistress Harley. Mistress Harley. And where can listeners find her? Uh, oh, you music? can find them everywhere. Okay. iTunes. So the album is called Tech Dom Financial Domination. You could buy it for a very odd price of $8.91. Oh, okay. The reporter met one of Harley's regular clients. Uh, who she named Jerry in the story. Jerry's from San Jose, California. Jerry found Harley on Twitter and had given her full access to his computer, bank account, and cell phone. Harley's phone app pings his location every 10 minutes, allows Harley to see and respond to text messages, and gives her control over his screen. To pay for Harley's services, Jerry gave her info to a checking account. So he just gave... Oh, wow. Yeah. Harley has access to many intimate details about Jerry, including his spending habits and his personal conversation. She even knows a lot about his friends. So you might ask how? Well, when they're texting and gossiping over emails and texts, she can see everything. And remember, these friends don't know that she can see everything. Yeah. So I, in that song called Sissy Boy, you might wonder why I played that because it's kind of, you might think it sounds kind of anti-gay. Well, it's really not. And here's here's the point of this. Harley can see what videos her clients watch for how long they watch and when they watch. This level of intimacy gives her power and she wants to use it for good. And she does use it for good. Quote, one of the titles I've started throwing out there is lifestyle consultant. Mm. Because I think what a lot of people use this interaction to do is to control unwanted behaviors or to put structures in their lives where there is no structure. Some clients come to her with various online addictions like porn or Facebook, and she gives them a sexualized digital detox, laying out a system of deprivation and rewards. Quote, some of what I do is put control on people for who feel compulsive. They want to stop, but they can't do it alone. Hmm. If you think about it, you're not going to just jump to this. There's a lot going on before you get to this point. If you want to improve your body, you see a trainer. If you want to improve your online habits, you see an online dominatrix. And you're definitely more motivated if your trainer is hot. I actually do. I mean, think about it, right? Yeah, it's true. I actually do spend uh, send a lot of my slaves to the gym or to therapy. I send their wives to therapy. Oh, wow. I try to improve the quality of their lives through my control, and it helps that my control is sexual, thrilling, and exciting. Hmm. Harley says she also helps men who want to be feminized. She calls them sissy boys, which is the name of that second song. To her knowledge, none of these men have come out, quote, there are so many men who are sexually confused. Maybe they have feelings of being gay, but feel it, it is wrong or shameful because of their upbringing. They're attracted to a woman like me who is strong, powerful, beautiful, confident woman. But they don't want to sleep with a woman like me. They want to be a woman like me. They just oh. don't know how to do that. Interesting. 
Using these men's phones and computers, she basically makes them explore their sexuality. This might mean making them try on women's underwear first at home, then in public. She'll assign episodes of America's Next Top Model for men to learn the basis of how to walk, talk, and match clothes. And smize. And smize. <laughs> for others, she posts revealing videos about their sexuality. And you might think having a video posted about you could be embarrassing, but clients pay her a premium to be featured on her website. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So this all sounds kind of odd, right? Sure. But Danielle Lindemann, a sociologist at Lehigh University who studies bondage, discipline, domination, and submission, or BDSM, and its surrounding kink community, has a take on this. She says that technology shapes our sexual lives. She pointed out to telephones as the genesis of the phone sex industry as an example. People back then would pay by the minute over the phone. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of remember these phone yeah, commercials from way back in the day. It was like, <laughs> like at 3 a.m. Yeah, like a yeah. dollar a minute. This is a quote from her. When new technology springs up, sexuality adapts to it. Human sexuality is never static. A new form of technology emerges and we find a way to connect it to sex. So how much money do are we talking about when these, you know, these these uh, women make? When Findom, who goes by at the Data Dom on Twitter, offers many services, including installing spy cam software on her client's computer so they feel like they're being watched. Quote, it's very different from the traditional view of BDSM, and it is not physical submission or abuse, but it is submission of control all the same. Mm-hmm. It's a feeling of helplessness most are looking for. Mm-hmm. We alluded earlier to clients paying premiums, so there's good money to be made, but just how much? As it turns out, for Findom's exchange can be lucrative. Women, because most of the submissives are men, say they can make up to $5,000 a day. A day? Mm-hmm. Uh, a day? Some of the women I found online have purchased homes completely yeah. from this income. Wow. Even though the practice is voluntary, there are financial consequences to getting addicted for the men. One man who goes by at Oink Piggy Oink, oh. which might be Ben. You might want to check that <laughs> out. It's definitely not Ben. Said he made over $75,000 a year in one year, but saw none of it since he paid so much to Findoms. Oh, wow. Quote, All this can actually be very dangerous for the slave. It is a drug and addiction. Mm. Brainwashing and rewiring, if you will. I have had a couple of goddesses I happen to serve for a decent amount of time that I formed trusting bonds with that I gave into and gave access to my Twitter, email, bank account login, femdom, clip studios, logins, things like that. I often find myself in regret when they have put me into an almost hypnotic mindless state and caused me to struggle with my bills occasionally. But the rush and the need to please and be used almost overrides it in the end. Hmm. That's wow. crazy. I know. Another man said, quote, the rush of spending money on beautiful women is like a high I've never experienced before. People say I'm getting taken advantage of, but that's not true. I believe women are superior and men should always make a woman he is interested in be happy no matter what. That's I can af- right. <laughs> I can afford it, so why not? They're just badass women. <laughs> I almost put this in the script to say, what do you think, Bethany? They're just badass women. I mean, if someone wants to write me a check, I'm not going to be mad about it. I know. I know. I'm thinking about dipping my toes into it. <laughs> However, there are those who are vehemently against pay pigging. Megan Murphy, the editor and founder of popular Canadian website Feminist Current, is one of them. Quote, 
focusing on the minority of women in the West who choose prostitution and erasing the majority of women who do not, but have no choice, no other choice is unethical. She believes the business feeds into the glamorization and whitewashing of prostitution by erasing the reality of women who enter the industry in order to survive. Basically, Murphy says there are women who really need sex work to survive, but these fin-doms don't and are making a mockery essentially out of women on the streets. How does she know that they don't need the money? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. They're how did yeah, how does she know that? Right. And we'll get into another one in here who basically was that's yeah. who had two jobs and wasn't. I mean, money. that's a lot of the OnlyFans thing. That's why it's blown up this year yeah. in twenty twenty because so many people are without jobs and they're sitting at home and they're trying to pay their bills and feed their kids. I read an article, I think it was in Rolling Stone just like a week ago or maybe two weeks ago about an EMT worker who was on OnlyFans and it became this like thing that blew up like, oh, shameful. She's probably going to get fired because she's on OnlyFans. It's like she's trying to live, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Who cares if she's if she's great at her job yeah. saving lives? She is. And that's her, her passion. Time. Like that's what right. she's doing. So I don't know. I know. No, I'm I'm with you. Despite the criticism that that's out there, the industry has gotten so big that some fin-doms are working as consultants, teaching budding doms how to master the art. One of them is Yevgenia Ivanyutenko, who I'm just going to call Ivania for the rest of the story. That looks like a code scramble. It does. (laughs) It's a lot lot of letters. (laughs) There's a picture of her. I love love her, by the way. She looks awesome. She was born in Belarus, Belarus and now lives in Canada. Here's how she became a consultant. Prior to going full-time as a FinDom, she worked at BBC America and CBS. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. With her bank account continuing to dwindle, like you were talking about, Bethany, even as she picked up a second job to make ends meet, Ivania decided to abandon her budding journalism career and became a full-time cam girl. Ivania's segue into domination happened shortly thereafter on a website for phone sex and one-on-one camming. While chatting with her clients, Ivania began to add elements of control and aggression to her delivery, and it paid off. Quote, It was the first time I felt absolute control over a situation in my entire life, and I liked it. You don't have to be supermodel gorgeous in order to do this, as long as you understand BDSM power dynamics and your client's particular buttons. One night, she was chatting with other women on a forum where sex workers shared stories, tips, and questions. She signed up for every site she could find when she first became a cam girl, setting up a Twitter account for her new persona and interacting with guys over Skype or Yahoo Messenger. The more confident she got, the more she raised her rates. You go, girl. To further flesh out the Dom persona she was using with her clients, Avani took to Twitter. Because Twitter still operates on pseudonyms, it has an incredibly large and vibrant sex worker community. Mm. Avani's because you know what I mean you don't have to put your real name out there Avani's new Dom persona quickly amassed 15,000 followers I know with men constantly asking her to Skype or Yahoo Messenger in exchange for sending money to her PayPal quote while my real life sucked my (laughs) online life was great I argued with Governor Chris Christie (gasps) of New Jersey what got an invitation from Cypress Hill to party with them whenever I found myself out in California Got cute little DMs from people I saw on TV. Oh, wow. But her private messages weren't from men wanting to employ her skills as a financial dominatrix. They were from other sex workers asking for help. So she had an idea. Adding, quote, sex work strategy consultant, 
to her bio, she went from taking money from clients for her expert abuse to showing other women how they too could profit. Today, the amount of Findom's greatly outnumbers pay pigs, Avani says. Hmm. One outcome of that fact is that most women give up within a year because it's harder than they expected. Quote, it's simply not an appealing fetish to most men unless they have already developed an obsession for a dominatrix. Cultivating this obsession is where Avani's sex work strategy consulting comes in. Avani compares findoming to professional wrestling. Quote, it's performance art. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Recently, Avani expanded her one-on-one consulting business to include webinars. I love wow. her. She's fantastic. The most basic class Avani teaches covers everything from brand and character creation to money management and how to file taxes as a sex worker. Oh, wow. So in PR, we do brand and social media channel mapping and things like that. These people are on top of their game. Yeah. I mean, they, they are the real deal. Many of these women look after each other. Nearly a third of the registrations for Avani's last webinar were scholarship spots paid for by established sex workers looking to help those new in the field. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Wow. A Twitter user from Vancouver, British Columbia, who goes by Femme Fatale, says she found Avani's webinars to be welcoming to those who seek to work in a safe manner. Femme Fatale is a self-described indigenous sex work activist and believes that Avani is providing a valuable service by explaining this confusing uh, laws around sex work, as well as providing suggestions on how to screen clients. Feedback like that is what keeps Avani confident she's helping her community. She often receives updates from past clients and loves hearing that their business has significantly improved. Quote, I blundered my way through sex work and spent a long time hustling backwards and then finally figured out what I was doing wrong. So now I help other women make money on the same site where I got my feet wet. All I ask my clients is to do exactly what I said, to make their money worthwhile. According to this Rolling Stone article at the time, she had recently tweeted, My dream as a little girl was to work in television, and I accomplished it. Oh, wow. She's referring to being on camera. Megan Murphy, she's the editor of Feminist Current, also criticized the consulting side of the business. Quote, it seems that uh, Ivani has managed to make a cozy profit off the sex industry by becoming a sex work consultant. This strikes me as yet another way to capitalize on women's oppression and objectification. So here's a little bit more about some of the men I I found online and what they've said about how this has affected them. I think you pronounce his name Asif. He's 25, a drug dealer from the Midlands region of England. He said that he has spent about 150,000 pounds or $205,000 in the U.S. in a couple of years. He lives at home and has to borrow money from his mom to pay off his debts to Findoms. And his mom has no idea. Quote, it's hard because... It's a part of me I enjoy, but I'd also really like for it to all go away, too. It's a love-hate thing. I've tried everything to get past it, but nothing works. I even went to therapy recently, and the reporter asked him how the therapy went, and he wrote, he said, not great. <laughs> <laughs> He's still spending that money. Yeah. Simon, a 45-year-old student from London, was asked, uh, how do you budget for it? And his, this is, I'm just going to read his quote. I have a clear sense of my outgoings and my obligations. Like most people, I have responsibilities, bills, loved ones, savings. And for me, these things always, always come first. Money that I spent on Findom comes from the pot of money one might spend on treats. 
Essentially, Fendom is a luxury, and I recognize that I'm very privileged to be in a position where I can indulge in that. Good for you, Simon. 23-year-old Mark, he's another student from Southern England. They asked him how he got into Fendom, and he said it started with some glamour models that he followed on Twitter. They began posting wish lists from Amazon and other sites with things that they wanted people to buy for them. And he liked the idea of it, and he was 18 at the time, so he bought some boots for them, and he just and it just evolved from there. He was asked where his income come from, and he said a little bit from his student loan and then some savings from some other jobs, and he's careful not to let it get out of hand. And then they asked, do you have any debt contracts? And he said, I'm paying off one at the moment, 50 pounds every couple of weeks for 600 pounds that he owes after playing a retweet game with the dominatrix. And basically this game was he paid an amount for every retweet, like, and comment on a tweet she posted. Oh, wow. And then they asked him, how much do you spend on average monthly on on doms? He said, quote, I try to keep it under 200 pounds, but it really depends. I once was on a drain with a session with a glamour model. A drain is essentially when you just are spending like crazy. Oh, okay. Who took over my computer with a team view on team view and transferred money herself. That cost me about 600 pounds in one go, but it was, quote, effing hot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and finally, Darren, a 50-year-old from New York. They asked him specifically about Findom, what he enjoys. The loss of control. Most Findoms are very arrogant, and I get so aroused from being humiliated and degraded. I love to do domestic chores so cocky women can relax and spend money, my money, as I toil for their benefit. Imagining these people living luxurious lives on my dime is hot, and many just do that. And then they asked him, what sort of tasks do you perform? Quote, it depends. For instance, tonight I have to write lines for my dom. She loves the new Fiona Apple album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, so demanded I write out all the lyrics for her by hand. Hmm. And that is the incredible story of Pay Pigs. Wow. I have never heard of that. (laughs) Wow. Insane. I feel like that's a Skinamax sitcom or something. (laughs) It should be a Cinemax. (laughs) Should be a reality show. It should be. I... I think I'm going to start doing drag and become a uh, fin dom. I support it. Yeah. I'll help you with your uh, photography and marketing. Yeah. I'll do your makeup. I can do PR for it and and some marketing on the side. Jordan will style it. Courtney will do your makeup. I'll photograph. We've got a team. We're ready to go. Court, I think when you get home, you should ask Ben if he's ever done this. Oh, my God. A drain. If he's ever done a drain. (laughs) You make the money and I'll spend it. Thanks for listening this week, you guys. Head over to our website, wildsocietypodcast.com, to see pictures from today's episode. On our website, you can also check out our new merch store by clicking the shop button at the top of the page. Wherever you're listening, be sure to hit follow or subscribe so you'll receive each week's new episode automatically. We love you guys. We're so glad you're here. We're excited to see you again next week. Can't wait. See you next time. No. I can't even do that right. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs>